and welcome to another episode of Monkey Business, a podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Palmer, and Monkey Business looks at the monkey minds behind successful or reinvented entrepreneurs, business people, CEOs, leaders. And just like Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Success is a blueprint, Monkey Business really aims to look behind those habits, to the mindset, to the shifts, to what happens to create great habits, to what happens when things don't go so right. And I definitely have walked that territory many times. And so it's probably no coincidence that my path has crossed with a fellow author and amazing coach and survivor or shift expert, chief shift expert, in fact, Michael O'Brien. So um, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you to the show, Michael. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rosalind. Uh, so great to be on. I'm glad I get to connect with your community. I've been looking forward to this all morning. So Thank can't wait you. to get into it. So your self-created um, title of Chief Shift Officer, I must say, uh, it's probably the first time that's come along. Why do you embrace that concept, Michael, so vividly? Well, it goes back to my cycling accident, my near-death cycling accident called My Last Bad Day, which for me was a fundamental shift in how I looked at life and how I looked at my career. But as I thought more about that and when I started my business, I was like, you know, really for all of us, we're, we're making subtle shifts. And so for me, I think of shifting gears, uh, shifting in career, shifting in life that we can call it a pivot, we can call it a change, but ultimately for all of us and those around us, we're trying to make little subtle shifts, like little improvements each day so we can create a better tomorrow. And for me, it's just something that really just stuck and resonated with me. And now today I try to help other people make shifts as well uh, so they can avoid the SUV that came after me. They can hopefully sort of learn and discover different ways of going about life so they can avoid some of the pain and suffering I, I went through back in my early days. Yeah, and for me, I, I talk about being made to let go. I, I literally felt I was hearing God on my own journey because every time I thought I was just about still hanging on by my fingertips, something else came along. Mine was more incremental, a bit like weighing stones down in a backpack, but yours was pretty spectacularly fundamental because you had a background in marketing and a life that I'm sure on the outside looked pretty good and that you were successful. But that SUV in 2001 literally completely and utterly derailed your life, didn't it? It completely did. So if you met me back then in 2001, you know, we didn't have LinkedIn or Facebook back then, <laughs> believe it or not. So that's how new some of these platforms are. But you would have seen someone that, hey, he's got it together. I was married seven years. We had two incredible young daughters. My oldest was three and a half. My youngest was seven months. And I had a pretty big job in a relatively small pond. So by many people's definition of success, I was successful. 
you know, I was making more money than I thought I would ever make coming out of university. So I had some of that financial success as well. But what was happening behind the scenes that doesn't appear on LinkedIn profiles is that I was chasing happiness. I thought I had to do more to be more. And the stress that caused, I would just pour it inside and try to pack it down. So you just mentioned, Rosalind, the backpack. Well, I was throwing a whole bunch of stones in my backpack and I was trying to hide it from everyone. That I was like, okay, I'm all good, it's all good. We're all calm on the outside, but inside, I was packing it down, packing it down, repressing it. Mm. And as I look back, I probably missed signs to make shifts earlier, but we went out to New Mexico for a company offsite, one of the classic ones that we used to do pre-COVID. We'd fly out on Monday, fly back on Friday, and in between, they would try to torture you with PowerPoint and team building exercises. And I brought my bicycle because I've been a lifelong cyclist and I was training for a bike race. It was my first bike ride race back after the birth of our second daughter. And I went across New Mexico off the states I've ridden my bike. And on the fourth lap of a loop I created, a two-mile loop, I thought I'd do like 10 loops, 10 laps for 20 miles and be the smug one in the meeting. Like I went outside and I experienced New Mexico and all you guys – stayed inside, slept in, or used the hotel gym. And on the fourth lap, I came around a bend, and that SUV was fully in my lane coming right at me, going about 40 miles per hour, so in uh, kilometers, what's probably like 70, 75 kilometers an hour. And I looked right at him. I thought, certainly he sees me. He'll swerve to avoid me. It was so surreal. Everything slowed Mm. down with slow motion. And I ran out of time. I was exactly where you're supposed to be riding your bike, but I couldn't react fast enough. And I remember the sound of me hitting his grill, the front of the truck, into the windshield I went. I remember that sound. I blew a hole through it, which is on my website. The screech of his brakes, and then the thought I made when I came to the asphalt below. And as your listeners can imagine, that knocked me unconscious. But when I regained consciousness, I asked the question, only another cyclist can truly appreciate I asked the EMTs, how's my bike? And they looked at me and they're like, your bike's fine, sir. Try to focus on you. Try to breathe. And I knew my bike wasn't fine. My bike was destroyed and I was destroyed. I, I was feeling the worst pain of my life. The thought of moving was painful. And I just I was lying there thinking, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like, this wasn't my script. I thought I was following the script of success perfectly high school university get a job meet someone marry someone all that climb the company ladder so i thought what's what's happening like this can't be happening like this is not part of my script and when they put me on the helicopter to take me to albuquerque a 19-minute medevac flight i remember promising myself if i live i'll stop chasing happiness because i was doing that Like most people in corporate life nowadays, I'll be happy when I get promoted. I'll be happy when I buy that external merit badge, the car, the house, all that. And that doesn't leave you happy. It Mm. just leaves you chasing more happiness. And that first surgery took 12 hours. It saved my life. Um, The next four days I spent in the ICU. And then then I discovered my sort of my new reality. And then that was the beginning of my recovery. So for you, that aha moment of if I recover, if I get through this, I'm going to 
do life differently. Did that stay with you from that moment onwards? Was it such a big aha moment? It was a complete bargain, to mm. be honest. I was like, I knew my life was in question. And I was like, all right, uh, Mother Nature, Father Sky, Universe God, anyone who's listening, I will promise if you save my life, I will do better. <laughs> and I had no clue. I had no, like, I had no clue how to stop chasing happiness. That was the only thing I knew how to do was chase it. Yeah. And when I came out of the ICU, the doctors painted the picture for my wife. You know, they told my wife, hey, we're not sure how he survived. Uh, it's a miracle. Had he been 10 years older and not in shape, he would have died before he got to the hospital. Because I broke a whole bunch of everything, but the big injury, I mean, I had a major concussion, but broke a whole bunch of bones throughout my body. The left femur shattered. And when the left femur shattered, it lacerated the femoral artery. So yeah. in essence, I was bleeding out in the middle of nowhere. That's why they're like, we're not really sure how we survived. And so they painted a picture of more dependency, more surgery, more pain and suffering. They're like, you're probably not going to ride again. You're going to probably walk with a lot of problems. So in the spirit, we go where our eyes go. They shifted my perspective to like, I was hoping to stop chasing happiness. And now they shifted it to like, uh, Michael, your your life is going to be really tough. Like Mm. we got to prepare you. And I went, Rosalind, really dark, really quickly. I got angry, frustrating, frustrated, revengeful. I wanted to get back to the driver, an eye for an eye. That's what I learned mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, if he harmed me, I will harm him. I had no idea how, but I was just like, I had all that emotion, all that energy, and I didn't know really what to do with it. So I packed it inside again. So when people would come to visit, I'd be like, I got this. I'm going to like be fighter. I'm going to be resilient. But then deep down inside, I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. Like, so did it come for my family? I'm a father, the whole thing. And it was so scary. Did that come out in another crisis then? If you're packing so much negativity down inside? So it's not, not necessarily in a crisis. So what happened is I had a moment where a mentor called and I trusted him and he called me. He's like, Hey, how are you doing? And I was like, all right, you really want to know, you really want to know the answer to that. I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. And I was like, boom, the dump truck came and I (laughs) unloaded. And he said, Hey, listen, um, you know, all the events in your life are neutral until you label them. I was Mm. like, what? He goes, all the events in your life are neutral until you label them. Nothing has meaning until you give it meaning right now. The meaning you're giving this whole thing is that you're the victim and a whole bunch of people are validating that point of view because it was horrific. Like mm. I'm lucky to be alive, but my life is my life and our family's life forever change. He goes, you could shift your perspective on this and look at it in another way that maybe this is not happening to you, but happening for you, that this is the moment for you to make an ultimate shift. And maybe you, you demonstrate the resilience that I know that's inside of you, Michael, that you can show others, you can get through your tough moments. Like you get to choose how you wish to tune in and show up in this moment. And at first I'd love to say like, Oh, good, good talk. And I'm, (laughs) but it was like, I I had, I had to spend some time processing that. But then I knew like what he was sharing with me because I trusted him. What there was something to that. And so the next morning I got out of my bed, wheel, into my wheelchair, went myself to a quiet place of the hospital and just connected with my breath. And I really wanted to make 
an intentional effort to show up and tune into life differently. And so slowly but surely, I was unpacking my backpack. So I didn't come out in another big crisis, but each day I was like, I'm going to work hard today to create a better tomorrow. Work hard today, create a better tomorrow. That was sort of my mantra. And as I work hard, part of working hard is not the physical labor of recovery, but it's also the emotional labor of recovery. And I take a little pebble out, a little stone out. Sometimes it's a big, massive rock out of the backpack as I try to create a better tomorrow. And that's been like my journey since that day. So one big lightning bolt moment, like big, big change. But then I had a choice. I could have easily stayed the victim. I chose a different path. And it's been day by day, or to use a cycling metaphor, pedal stroke by pedal stroke. on My way to creating a better life and a better career and just um, happiness in the present sense as opposed to chasing it. It's about creating a better world. I mean, before we came live, we were talking about Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning, and and that had a profound effect upon me uh, when I first read it in sometime in the 1990s. And coming through the cancer journey I came through and quite a lot of other adversity, not labelling it in a way that made me a victim was absolutely a core strategy for me. We're living in incredibly challenging and turbulent times at the moment um, and people want to stick things in a box, don't they? They want to give things a label. I think, you know, they're, they're searching for certainty in an uncertain world and joining a tribe, joining a camp, feeling you're right, somebody else is wrong has, has never been more ugly, I would say, than at the moment. Do you see a lot of that around yourself at the moment, Michael? Absolutely. So when COVID hit the States, I'll peg it like right around March, the emotions that we were feeling as a country were so eerily similar, Rosalind, to what I was feeling in the early stages of my recovery, especially when the hospital got quiet at night and I didn't have any visitors. So I was alone with my thoughts and the beeping machines that was trying to help me stay alive. The worry, the anxiety, the fear, the loss of identity. Who will we become if we don't know, you know, where we're going? Because normal left the building along with Elvis as soon as it (laughs) happened. And we had not yet figured out, like, who could we become? And I felt all of that. So I think, yeah, a lot of people are trying to search for certainty. And just like my accident, as I mentioned earlier, I think it happened for me, not to me. I think COVID is happening for us, not to us. That it's shining a spotlight on some of the things that we need to address, some of the rocks that we need to empty from our backpack Mm. in terms of economic inequality, racial inequality, environmental health, just our overall health, that we have maybe ignored it, um, kicked the can down the road, if you will, And COVID is basically coming back to us and saying, hey, it's the universe again. It's Mother Mm -hmm. Nature, Father Sky, God, whomever. It's like, you all need to work on this. And here's the really, from my perspective, those four big things, the economy, health, inequity or inequality and the environment here in the States, they have a common denominator and that's our breath. 
Mm. And when you look at coronavirus, it, it attacks our respiratory system. The Black Lives Matter movement here in the States was reignited through George Floyd's death because his breath was restricted. The wildfires are, are you know, searing our lungs mm. and a whole bunch of people are holding their breath, hoping their job will come back. This one common denominator, like our breath. And in these moments, as the shirt says in the background, like I think we, we need to do a better job of pausing, breathing, and reflecting. And in that moment of reflection, determine how we wish to tune in and show up for the world so we can create a better one. And because so many people are literally holding their breath and they're burning out in the process, what practical advice do you give in your shift advice to people, your guidance, your mentorship? What practical advice are you giving to people who know they need to make that change but maybe don't know how? So great question. So part of it does start with grabbing a pause, breathe, and reflect. It's a simple box breathing technique of an inhale for four or hold for four, exhale for six or longer, hold for four. For me, reconnecting with a tool that we all have can slow everything down as far as our biology is concerned, the heart rate, the blood pressure. So we can think a little bit more clearly. So we have a little bit more space in between what happens and our label. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. One of the other questions that I ask people to do is like, okay, how can this moment, let's take our society, but like in our careers, how is this moment happening for you, not to you? Reframing that. Because our our first reaction is sort of usually victim thinking, why did this happen to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? So reframing starts it. Then we try to work on awareness. You know, how do we see the world? How do others in our life see us and how we tune in? So this whole concept of bringing forward more awareness so we can get to acceptance. So, hey, it's like this. So we're not arguing with reality. So then we can get into some action. And then with that awareness, we can hopefully tap into past experiences where we had a tough moment and somehow, some way we overcame that. We fell down, we got back up again, but we got back up with a little bit more wisdom. To me, that's the true sense of resilience. We've all heard the old saying, like, fall down seven, get back up eight. I want folks to get back up eight with a little bit more wisdom to go in a slightly different direction. Because falling down and getting back up again without learning anything is really sort of, like, not helpful. Um, And the last piece is, you know, tapping into what I call your peloton. Uh, For those that don't know, uh, but some may know cycling, a peloton is a group of cyclists in a bike race like the Tour de France. They need each other, even though they're on different teams. And we are all sort of on different teams a lot in our society, but we all need each other to go down the road as fast and as safe as possible. So in moments where we struggle, tapping into members of your own personal board of directors, which I sort of link back to your peloton, is so key because life today the life through the you know start of time has never been a solo project. We need those people who bring out the best in us. So tapping into the members of your Peloton can also help us during these really tough moments. And are these key strategies for your, your first book was called My Last Bad Day. I 
I guess you still could have a bit of a bad day, not through any, you know, through external forces. But are these the key strategies that absolutely mean you get up quicker and more resilient each time? For me, yes. And so when I talk about having your last bad day, what I share with people is like, I'm not talking about unicorns and rainbows and an endless supply of candy. <laughs> Although that might be nice, um, probably in the short order, yeah. but maybe not over a whole, a whole bunch of time. For me, that last bad day moment is that moment where you decide, where you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm going to write a new script. As I mentioned, when I was waiting for the helicopter to come, I was like, this is not the script. And so I realized that there are multiple scripts that you could write. Like you have agency, you have choice in which script you want to write. So for me, having your last bad day is that moment of clarity to say, okay, going forward, things are going to be different. I still have bad moments during my day. I have sadness and anger and frustration and all the different emotions that we all feel, just like anyone else. But I made a commitment through my recovery. I wasn't going to let a bad moment get any more fuel, any more intensity or any more duration than it deserves. So then it would, you know, ripple into a bad day or even longer. Mm. I think a lot of people, especially in corporate life, have a bad meeting on Friday at 3 p.m. and it ruins their whole weekend. Yeah. Or a bad commute and it ruins their whole morning or yeah. what have you. So we're, we all experience life. We're going to have some bad moments. I just don't want those to be so intense or last so long. It then takes away from the things that we're really good at. And so that's what it means to have your last bad day moment. So certainly in the book, I talk about gratitude and reframing and intentions and breathing and all that. Some of the, the classic tools that we tend to forget about as we search for hacks and when you can live life with that type of intentionality, then you can weather some of the storms that will inevitably pop up in our life. So we can get through those with, a, with our strength and learn something from them and then move forward. Again, going back to our purpose, that maybe we can make the planet just a bit better tomorrow than it is today. Was writing the book cathartic for you? My memoir was. So mm. when I talked to my wife, so when I left... Like I came back after my accident out of the hospital back to my corporate life and the principles I've learned through my recovery, I think completely helped me move up to the executive suite. So I moved from marketing director to now I was in charge of eventually North America sales and marketing and operations for my company, uh, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., but mainly it was the U.S. I made it to the executive committee. I think if I didn't go through what I went through, I would have never made it there. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it's um, it's that that was that was just a, a fundamental like shift when I thought about it. So when I left my corporate life to start my coaching, so many people said, "You got to write your book, Michael." They heard my story. You got to write that book. You got to write that book. And I'm like, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I'm not much of a writer. I had the monkey mind, as you talk about. Ah, I didn't. I have like post traumatic seventh grade English disorder, (laughs) right? So I'm like, I'm not a writer. I'm like, no one's going to read it. Like you're being kind. All the stuff was monkey mind central. They were like, no, it'd be good for your business. Good for speaking. I was like, ah, so I talked to my wife. I was like, a lot of people think I should write this book, but I'm not a writer. She's like, you can write, like we can make this happen. She was like, I think you should do it. It'll be therapeutic. And it was. And I wanted to benefit, whether I sold like one copy or mm. 5,000 or 10,000, 
it was therapeutic to let it all out. And but it's also super scary when you write your memoir. It's not like you're writing the 20 tips on how to like slay LinkedIn. It's like you're you're naked out there. It's like this is your story. I know. And so there's a lot of monkey mind fodder, monkey mind fuel. Because if people don't like it, what does that say about you? And so I had to dance with all that and write write it. It was a combination of the journal entries I wrote during my recovery and then putting together putting it together in a story format. And I'm glad I did. You know, I had the expectation I wanted to sell three copies. One to each daughter and then <laughs> one to a complete stranger. And so we've been able to do that. Uh, and it became a bestseller and it's, you know, it's, I think it's really relatable for folks. It's inspirational and motivational. It's, it's, but in that practical sense, it's like, it's reachable mm-hmm. for folks to read through it and say, okay, like things happen, bad things sometimes happen to good people. Then we get to choose how we wish, we, we wish to respond to it. And that's part shifting and reframing our mindset. But it's also tapping into those people around us to help us get through our tough moments. And right now, we're in a tough moment and we, we, need, we need each other to get through it. And your latest book, what's that? Uh, what, what was the inspiration behind that? Well, so when I wrote Shift, Creating Better Tomorrow, so many people asked me like, well, how, great book, great story, Michael, but how do, like, how do you really do it? So my last bad day shift is a smaller book. It's only about 50 pages, but it's more of a how-to. It's more yeah. about things I still do. Uh, even to this day, in the morning, during work, after work, to reframe the situation so I can show up with some intentionality and get my calm on, reconnect with my breath. So then I can weather those bad moments a little bit better so they're not as powerful. They don't grab onto you as much so that I can move on to what I think my life purpose is. Now the I quote unquote, quote, the reason why I lived, the reason why I survived. So it's your blueprint. And so that's the little blue yeah. book. That's what's in that one. Yeah, I love that. So that's the blueprint so that people can take those lessons and go forward. And I watched your YouTube uh, Sunday morning conversations. So I suppose they're all the little snippets about that. The last one I saw was finding certainty in uncertain times. So I'm sure anybody listening is in that territory. What would be a couple of top tips for that? Well, one that you referenced the Sunday video, one is be mindful of what you're consuming. If our body is a vessel, you know, it's, I think it's important to fuel our vessel, our body with the right type of stuff. So that's could be food and nutrition and hydration, but also content. I think, you know, speaking, to the situation at hand here in the States, we have an election coming up next month or, you know, in, in November, it, it's at, for me, what I recommend to people is try to take some uh, social media holidays. So mm. we're not constantly on that hamster wheel of just going through our scroll that we have some space. So what I generally talk to people about on those shift tips and just in the books is finding some space to think you know, we are so charged with this whole attitude that we have to do more to be more. We're going, for people who are fortunate enough to have jobs, we are working longer hours because we don't have our commute. Mm. And it seems like we're doing more, but 
that more isn't really moving the needle on creating the change we wish to to create. So I try to ask people to like slow down so you can go faster, uh, reframe things. What's another way of looking at it? Tap into their curiosity if they're having a conversation with someone. Instead of going in with your agenda, listen to connect and understand with people as opposed to listening to reply. Uh, practice the art of gratitude to help you see what's working in in your life. Even sort of the mucky parts, because we know this, that without the mud, there's no lotus, right? So <laughs> some of our hardest moments give us the best growth, and we're in it right now. So how do we look at even those toughest moments as the gift that they are? Uh, really hard to do. A lot easier for me to say. Hard to do, but I practice everything that I share. So all those principles. So it's, it's about understanding as leaders, as people, as humans, how do we show up as human beings for one another as opposed to, I think what's common current day is that we have a whole bunch of human doers yep. that are not connecting in the way we need to connect. And for me, the golden bullet would be, how do you hang on to happiness and contentment? For me, it ties back to gratitude and the people in my life. When I made that determination to label my accident day as my last bad day, what what came to me is that hey, if I have my wife and my daughters in my life, how can I label when I fall asleep at night? How can I label that day as a bad day? Because there's a three important people, essential building blocks, puzzle pieces, however you want to reference it, but they're three of my loves and if they're still in my life at the end of the day i can't call that a bad day no. so i practice the principles of gratitude certainly at night as i get ready for bed but also throughout the day like how can i have little micro views of gratitude and so that keeps me in a you know a present state of happiness but that doesn't mean that every moment that i have is happy you know again i experience emotions that we all experience. I've had moments of frustration and anger and worry and fear and sadness. And and when I have those moments, I let that moment breathe. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to resist it. I'm not trying to just get back to happiness. It's more about, hey, I'm going to be more open and aware to all my emotions. I just don't want to stay, say, in anger or sadness mm-hmm. any longer than I need to. So I'm not trying to rush it. I'm just hopefully preventing it from extending too for too long, where it then can take over how I'm showing up in the world. Michael O'Brien, I am very grateful that you've joined me. Is there a question that I haven't asked you that you'd like to ask yourself so that everybody can learn one more nugget from you? Ah, so, well, one question is, how I met my wife. So (laughs) I met my wife, who is the head of my Peloton, through the very first ad I've ever created, which was a personal ad, back before there was a thing here in the States. I'm not sure if it's international, but like Match.com and Mm -hmm. eHarmony and all those places like that. And it was in uh, the city paper in Washington, D.C. I wrote this ad. And she, I never had written an ad like that before. Like that type of stuff was brand, brand new. She had never answered an ad like that before. And I wrote an amazing ad that allowed me to find her. 
and we've been married 26 years this year and we have two wonderful daughters and I'm only here today Rosalind because of her uh, she was the head of it so she you know this is a team effort you know change or shifting is usually a team effort we can't do these things alone and so I am so thankful that I wrote that ad it was an experiment that I talked about with my buddies. I was like, ah, I'm going to write an ad and see who <laughs> answered these, answers these things. I wasn't looking for my future wife, but I found my future wife through that ad. And uh, for me, that's a wonderful story. What's her name? Her name is Lynn. Lynn, it's a Rosalind. There we go. There's, yeah. I could talk to you all day because there's so much in common. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that... I'd never read your book. Uh, well, I haven't read them up until now because there's so much in my book that's similar. And interestingly, my life now, um, after a couple of not so great roads with two divorces, um, I met my current partner because I was writing an article about online dating for the over 50 woman. And I, oh, wow. needed, and I needed to do some more research. So I joined a site just to do some research for the article and I met my partner. So that was, no way. Yeah, oh, that's a great story. That's absolutely that's true. I'll, I'll send you an article I wrote about it because uh, that's absolutely true. So what a brilliant thing in co yeah, that we have in common. So Michael O'Brien, amazing. I, I, I'm tuning into every Sunday morning for those um, nuggets and those wisdom, your wonderful books. Thank you. And you make it all so relatable so understandable and I love the referencing and the changing the labels I think for anybody in business in life getting that balance right coping in these difficult times they are incredibly practical strategies that people can use every day rather than some highfalutin theory so I absolutely adore that and thank you so much for being my guest You've been listening to another episode of Monkey Business, a podcast behind our thinking, behind our habits, behind our actions. I'm Rosalind Palmer. And today I'm very grateful and very happy that I've been joined by Michael O'Brien. Thank you. Well, thank you, Rosalind. It was great to be with you. I love what you're doing with your podcast. And I hope your listener has got a pearl or two out of our conversation. So uh, have a really great, enjoyable rest of your day. You too. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to Monkey Business, a podcast for business people to help tame their monkey mind. And I'm Rosalind Palmer. My guest today has been Michael O'Brien, who has told you about his last bad day when an SUV hit him head on as he was cycling and he was literally left for dead and begging everything, God, the universe, nature, anybody who would listen to get through that life or death situation, he determined that that day indeed would be his last bad day. And he now teaches other people how by making less dramatic shifts, you can avoid the SUV that came for him. How to get off the do more to be more hamster wheel and find true happiness and peace. That all events in your life are neutral until you choose to label them, so be careful the labels you give them. 
Michael also shared how to take the rocks out of your victim backpack to find lightness and joy and what some of the true burdens that we need to work together to shift in society are today. How to wake up, how to make a a shift, write a new script for your life and make it happen. Also how to be mindful about what you're consuming and how crafting a dating ad led him to find his love of his life and his wife. Finally, Michael also tells us why we all need a peloton, a shift as a team is a team effort. So thanks to Michael O'Brien, I'm Rosalind Palmer. You can tune in to Monkey Business on all podcasting platforms and you can reach me on rosalindpalmer.com.